0: Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we thank you, God, for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you're a powerful God. Uh, we thank you that when we believe in you, when we trust in you, you show yourself to be good to us. So increase our faith as we look this morning at your word. And um, we just pray a blessing on us as we, as we hear what you have to say to us, Father. Uh, I'm just conscious of that um, verse that says that the humble you teach your way so help us, help me, Lord, help all of us to be humble this morning so that we can receive something from you. Thank you, Jesus. So we've got a new topic, belief into action. We've just, some of us have been doing some actions just now, so some of us clearly are, are feeling active. Some of us maybe not so much, um, but we're looking at five topics. Today we're doing the case for Christ um, and I've put them slightly bigger on the slide here. So over, over the course of a, a couple of months, a few months, we're going to be looking at things such as uh, faith and politics. Um, Such as Islam. Is Islam the same as Christianity? Some people think it is. Um, We're going to look at humanism and secularism. I don't know if any of you have ever attended a humanist wedding or a humanist funeral. But um, it's interesting to see how that links into what what the Bible says. And also, um, 4th of August, they're uh, looking at atheism atheism and agnosticism and what that means for us. Now, the case for Christ... One of the one of the motivations for this whole series is that as how does that we're kind of in a minority now in this country, and we just need to be real about these things. And so, how does that? How do we put our beliefs into action? How do we show that we're different in our lives without getting ourselves into trouble, without offending other people, but also uh, showing Jesus love? And the case for Christ draws on this law metaphor, um, and. I find courtroom trials fascinating. I don't know about you, but there's something about them that just make me sit up and I get gripped. Um, You get this welter of technical detail. And for some reason, that technical detail becomes interesting. I don't know how. Um, And then you've got people presenting for and against. And then you get this jury who have to make up their minds in, in this country, certainly. And then there's a verdict reached, isn't there? And a case for Christ... This is the most important verdict of all. Do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe who he is, who he says he is, or not? And um, we were inspired, I think, uh, Martin and I kind of talked about this um, series, by th- looking at Paul and how Paul presents the case for Christ. Paul explains the gospel. He reasons about it from in the book of Acts. From Acts 13 onwards, it's mainly about Paul, and you see him reasoning the gospel. Also, in Romans and Corinthians, we get quite a lot of explanation of what the gospel is, particularly for people who maybe are, are looking and searching. In the book of Acts as well, it's not just reason, it's not just logic. Of our lives according to feelings, according to convenience, according to what just seems easiest, really. Um, but in the book of Acts, you also see lots of miracles. So people turn to Jesus because of the miracles. But I love Acts sixteen fourteen. Um, outside Philippi, Paul and the the other disciples are there, and Lydia is listening to the things spoken by Paul, and it says, The Lord opens her heart, so that's Acts 16, 14, to heed those things. And also, in Acts 17, we get this little occasion. Paul, as his custom was, this is in um, Thessalonica, Went into them in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ And some of them were persuaded, that doesn't sound very many, but then it says a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So he reasons, he persuades, he gives them time and they believe. And in the same chapter, verse 11, he goes to Berea and we get this comment, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness And they searched the scriptures daily notice to find out whether these things were so. Every now and again, you come across someone who so wants to know about Jesus that every spare moment they are reading the Bible. And that's such a great thing when you come across that to encourage. And so verse 12, it says, Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. What's great here is that if you uh, look at look at what is being suggested here. If you've got an open mind and you look at the Bible, probability is you're going to believe. Because that's what they say. They search the scriptures daily and therefore many of them believe. So you're probably going to believe. And one of the problems with Christianity today is that everyone says, oh, you can't possibly defend Christianity rationally. There's no case for it. Um, you You must be off your rocker. You're obviously just following the crowd, believing in Christianity. You're just superstitious. You're primitive. Um, Probably people would think they could make a better case for paganism today, believe it or not, than than Christianity. And everyone thinks there's this massive evidence that stacks up in favour of atheism, in favour of science, in favour of uh, all religion being outmoded. Some people can make a good case against Christ, they can make a convincing case, but uh, that's just logic anyway, and sometimes people can fool you with persuasion, but it's not actually as easy as you might think to make a case against Jesus. If you start to look and take all the pieces of evidence, turn, you know, turn by turn, start to look at them, it starts to become overwhelmingly persuasive. And the other thing about logic and argument is a lot of people use it as an excuse, they're hiding behind it. They say, but actually, they—they've got other reasons that they're not sharing with you as to why they can't believe. So I want us to look at Paul um, persuading for Christ, presenting the case for Christ, and just three examples of um, men's responses to Paul in Acts. You'll probably know these examples, but I think it's interesting looking at them. It's very human because. The way people respond when we're sharing Jesus with with other people or when we're talking about God is other people just say very human things. Someone said to me only this morning, "They said, oh, I can't believe uh, because too many horrible things have happened to me. That was just this morning. And um, and so it's very human and we need to kind of recognise that. But it doesn't mean to say God can't break in to people's lives. Felix is our first uh, character. You may be able to guess these if you know your book of Acts. Acts 24, and I can't go through all the story, so you might want to look it up later. Um, but Felix is the governor. He's employed by Rome, and Paul has been arrested. He's on charges of sedition. The Jews want him dead, so they're trying to get the Romans to do their dirty work for them at this particular point. And this is what we hear After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, reasoned again, about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and he said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Has anyone ever tried to say something about God to someone else? And they said, no, it's not the time. Sorry, I'm too busy. Um, And it's the response Paul gets. Felix isn't a good governor. Incidentally, he wound the Jews up. Nero had to uh, take him out, out in the end and, and replace him with someone else. And um, he's also had moral lapses of his own, so he's he's not uh, he's not in a good state before God, and he's experiencing the fear of God. It's the greatest preacher of all time, Paul, apart from perhaps Jesus, sharing the truth with him, and he's not convinced. So does that make you feel a bit better when people don't uh, respond when you're telling them that you're a Christian? Even if we just say we go to church, that opens up, you know, and people look at us and think, oh... And they might think differently about us, mightn't they? Sometimes we don't want to tell, occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. And I think that's Felix here. He doesn't want to know. And in fact, if you look at the next verse, which I haven't put on the slide, um, one of the reasons Felix is so keen to listen to Paul, not because he wants to believe, but because he wants Paul to give him a bribe, uh, to be released. So there's all sorts of motivations, aren't there, for, for people coming to church even. I'm sure you're here for ch- in church for much better reason than that, I hasten to add. Um, so Felix disappears, Paul's held prisoner for two more years, and then Festus comes along. And Festus lets King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, know about Paul. And Agrippa says, oh, I'd like to hear Paul, I'd like to hear this man speak. And so into Acts 25 we get um, this little scene playing out. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, so uh, with trumpets sounding and all their finery on and a big retinue, coming into the royal court. They'd entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus people here. Uh, Bernice, by the way, is Agrippa's sister, but he's in a relationship with her. So he's not morally right before God either. Now, Paul is is amazing. If you want to get a good presentation of the gospel, read Acts 26. He's very good at at kind of communicating and connecting with his audience, just like Franco was earlier, you know, with... uh... Kind of bringing everyone in and giving us a, a brief chance to respond. You know, it's great. Um, uh, Acts twenty-six three, he says to Agrippa, "You are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the law." If you're trying to get someone on side, it's always good to pay them a compliment. Little bit of a tip: Recognize, you know, who they are. Everyone is of worth in God's sight, aren't they? No one is just fodder for us to try and get the gospel out. Another one on my list. No, because God loves people and He cares for them. And so, Agrippa, um, uh, sorry, Paul. Uh, gives his spiel, gives his um, testimony, incredible testimony. And Festus is the first one to respond. This is our second response. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Have any of you ever been accused of being mad? Uh, Perhaps even because of your faith. Um, (laughs) uh, Maybe just for other reasons too. I always used to talk to myself when I was a child walking along the road. It's very embarrassing, isn't it, when you turn a corner and suddenly you're in full spiel. and someone, someone, uh, someone That's a bit of a confession there. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but yeah, um, because, because we have this belief in Jesus, we believe in miracles, we believe that Jesus walked on water, we believe that he shut the mouths of lions. Surely this is, these are children's stories. These can't possibly be true. And so Festus thinks he's mad. Um, And then we get Agrippa's response. Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. These are classic responses to the gospel. I've had that as well. People have said, oh, I'm nearly there. I'm almost persuaded. Um, But we often get that. Come back later. It's not convenient. Can't talk now. Um, What do we do? What are we supposed to do when we get these responses? It's no good saying, I'm almost persuaded. It's like saying... you almost passed your driving test. Better luck next time. It's no good, is it? You can't go off and drive. You've got to pass before you can drive. It's not like saying to um, someone, oh, you you know, a salesman saying to you, "Uh, look, this is a wonderful product and you say, oh, I'm I'm almost persuaded. That's no good. They're not going to be happy with that. A sale is the only thing, isn't it? We need that verdict coming back to a courtroom trial scene. It's either guilty or not guilty. You you can't have a kind of an in-between there, can you? The judge can't sit and say, oh, I almost think you're guilty, you know, or I almost think you're innocent, but you're going down anyway, you know, it's got to be a verdict, and sometimes I think it's almost better for someone to say, no, not interested, and not even start, and they say, oh, I'm warm, and then they walk off, but what does Paul do, what does he say, he says, and this is um, NIV, he says, short time or long, I pray to God, not only you, but all you who are listening to me today become what I am except for these chains. I think this is interesting because there's a crowd in the room. It's probably fuller than this room. Yeah, There's loads of people listening to Paul. Now, um, Agrippa was almost persuaded. How many people there were persuaded? We're not told. But if we're faithful in giving a testimony, then, um, then God will be using that and the Holy Spirit will be using it. Sometimes we're looking in one direction thinking, God, why aren't you working? And over there, God's doing something. So we, we should be encouraged about um, the case for Christ. It says elsewhere in the Bible, it says the word of God is not chained. We start to speak the name of Jesus. It releases the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do anything. God does the work for us. And we mustn't let these attitudes deter us from keeping on sharing the gospel. Lots of people have reasons. I said the one earlier, oh, too many horrible things have happened for me. to. For me, you know, He said his, his mum was a Christian, but he, it's just too many horrible things that happened. A lot of people think they're too sinful. Think they're not good enough to, for God to accept them. Or they might think, actually, I'm all right. Don't you come and tell me I'm a sinner. Thank you very much. Who do you think you are? All sorts of different attitudes that we come up with. A lot of people are kind of caught in a fog and just can't make up their minds and... They're sceptical. And the, the culture around this is so atheist, isn't it? That it's really battling in this country. You know, you go out to somewhere like Malawi. I did a, a gospel presentation. And, um, and I said, who wants to pray the prayer? And every single person puts up their hand, you know. And it's just it's a natural thing to accept Jesus there. But here it's hard work. Um, it's interesting as well to see just the ending of the story. When they'd gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. So uh, then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. I think what's interesting here, making good progress, by the way, I've got my timer on today and it's working. Is everyone still awake? Everyone's still awake? Yeah, good. I think it's interesting here that um, that they're thinking about Paul and they're making a judgment on him. And what have they concluded about Paul as he tells his story of faith in Christ? He's saying he's a, he's a good man. He's not, he's not an, a, a bad man. He's not stirring things up. He's a good character. And I think that's really important that when we're talking to other people about Jesus, that people are going to look at us and say, well, actually, they're a decent he's a decent sort. Um, there was a guy uh, years ago, um, I was reading some letters the other day that mum uh, had written. Uh, I, found, I found a load of letters. And um, I'd obviously written a letter to a chap who worked for uh, the caravan park. And I'd written to him trying to convince him to become a Christian. And dad had just written on the end of the letter. He said, uh, oh, he looked you know well that's that's nice you like me but but that's not it is it and sometimes actually people need to be a bit riled up by us. Sometimes we can be a bit too nice. Uh, I'm not saying that that isn't a good thing. It's important to have a good character. But, but the key thing is that people decide for Jesus. That's what's so important. And Agrippa and Festus, it's ironic, isn't it? They're concerned about Paul being chained up. Paul doesn't care about his chains. He knows that God's plan for him involves chains. What he wants to see is them being set free. And Agrippa and Festus aren't, um, aren't seeing. Their eyes aren't opened to the truth. Now, this is the final bit, really. Paul has a secret that sustains him when he presents a case for Christ. It was actually on the poster um, uh, to, do with, um, to do with the whole series, Belief into Action. And I want us just to go in a moment to 2 Corinthians to look at it. It's Christ's love compels us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. Christ's love compels us. Paul was martyred we know that Paul was martyred for the sake of the gospel. We don't know exactly how, but we know he, he died for the gospel. And he was prepared to give his life for the message. So it shows that it really meant something to him. It's one of the proofs of the resurrection that most of the disciples were martyred for their faith. They obviously believed that Jesus had risen again. A lot of people say it was a fraud. Um, The disciples all covered it up. They wouldn't have done that and then gone off and got themselves killed for the sake of the gospel. Earlier this week, uh, we heard the dreadful news that 11 missionaries have been killed in a minibus accident in Tanzania. Lori's brakes failed. Uh, They're part of the YWAM, Youth for the Mission. And These people didn't voluntarily die. They weren't saying at gunpoint, I choose to believe in Jesus, but they died martyrs' deaths. Because they would have weighed up the risks of being a missionary in that, part of, in that part of the world. They would have seen the transport, they would have seen the roads, they would have known the dangers and they still decided to do it. And parents, children and partners learnt they would never see their loved ones alive again. Um, because of that tragedy, but those deaths are precious in God's sight. And we don't have to die to make a a heart commitment to him. God can see in our hearts how precious our commitment is and our motivation is. In 2 Corinthians, um, Paul says this. He says, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope it's known also to your conscience. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth who aren't quite on his side and he's trying to bring them back on his side. But he uses the conscience And the conscience is one of our greatest aids when we're trying to share the gospel with others. And our conscience is also really important. And it nudges us, prods us through our conscience. And it reveals our need of him. And it nudges us, prods us when we, when we should be going and telling someone or helping someone out or, um, or stopping something that we're doing. And he goes on to say this, and I use the New Living Translation for this uh, version, for this verse. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. And just on that... Paul makes a case for Christ. He's clearly extremely gifted in rhetoric and in persuasion. But at the same time, he makes it very clear that we're not supposed to use persuasive skills. We're not supposed to use tricks to bring people to Jesus. We need to be sincere in our heart and we need to be honest and open with people. And then he says this, If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. Festus thought he was mad. He says, if I'm crazy, if I'm out of my mind, it's all for Jesus. Um, I think there are various slogans, aren't there, and things about being fools for Christ. and, And there was that great song, Jesus Freak, by DC Talk a little while ago, a few years ago, about just being a freak for Jesus, being completely mad. Not all of us want to do that. But actually, Paul says, look, I'm doing it for God. And then he says, if we're of sound mind, it is for you. And then here we are, the love of Christ compels us, or in a lot of translations, controls us. That surprised me, that it says controls us. Um, most people think that, well, this is two ways, the love of Christ. Is this Jesus' love for me, or is this my love for Jesus? It's not quite clear, it's Both. But it has to be, doesn't it, um, his love for me first, because he loved me first. As Viv said uh, the other week, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. His love drives us on, propels us forward. And when we, when we do share God's love with others, it's his love that's moving us forward. And Paul says, we judge thus. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That judging thus is not just, oh, I'm just making a choice. It's, I've thought about this, I've weighed it all up, and I'm definitely going for it. It's, it's a considered decision. He says, if one died for all, all died. All died. One died for all. That's Jesus. Jesus died for everyone not just for a select number of people who were chosen at some point. He died for everyone. And it says all died. Everyone's died in Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? We will die, but that won't save us. But when Jesus dies, when Jesus died, it did save us. So Christ's death ransoms everyone. Jesus' death is enough to save all of us. Christ's death atones for everyone. It took away God's wrath. His death, how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And it goes on to say this. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because it's easy to think that salvation is just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart uh, that Jesus died, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Bish, bash, bosh. That's it. I can carry on with my life now and everything is all hunky-dory. Don't need to worry anymore because I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But that's not the gospel that Paul shares here. He says we need to live for him now. We, We can't forget about this. We've got to live for him and that's What is motivating Paul to present the gospel? is the love of Christ. We're not saved from something alone. We're saved for something. We're saved to live our lives differently. Charles Simeon says, Can we do too much for him who's done and is doing so much for us? Earlier, uh, in uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.10, Paul says we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He didn't just die to make us savable, but he died so that we can live for him now. And N.T. Wright says what Paul is doing is he's announcing the love that changes the world. We end up doing things we never would have done. How many of you, since you became a Christian, did something that you wouldn't have dreamt that you were going to do before becoming a Christian? God has a real sense of humour, doesn't he? Sometimes we say, I'm never going to go on mission. I'm never going to. You won't catch me um, doing this. You won't catch me uh, knocking on doors or dropping leaflets. So you won't catch me uh, doing a talk to people. And then suddenly God says, Yes, I will. And he's got you doing it. Because it's his love in our hearts that changes us. And we live in a totally new way because of Jesus' love. That's why we're a new creation. A couple of verses down, verse 17 of this, of this uh, chapter. And it just Paul reminds us at the end of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Paul makes... Such a powerful case for Christ. And he was willing to die for it. How do we respond to Christ? Are we going to wait for a more convenient time before we start properly living for him? Or are we going to live for him now and today? John Stott says, If the gospel's come to us, which it has we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. I know this is a challenging message. I thought, wow, but this is what, this is what was going on in this passage. And I knew it was the one for us to share. Um, so I just want to challenge you. How much do you love him? How much do you love him? And are you going to share his love with other people? Just in natural ways, in supernatural ways, as the Spirit leads. So let's pray. And then we're g- I'm sure we're going to go back into worship. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we that Paul laid his life down. Lord, if it weren't for Paul, the church probably wouldn't exist. (laughs) Lord, so we thank you for Paul. He was just an ordinary human like us. Lord, and we recognise that there is no limit to what you can do if we surrender to you, Lord. And if we express our love for you and allow your love to transform us. So just ask, Lord, that right now we would allow your love to transform us. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that Jesus' love compels us to share the gospel with others. And thank you, Lord, that it's the power of your Holy Spirit in us which does the work and on on other people too. Thank you, Father, that we are not obligated to see people come through. We are just obligated to live for you and to express your love to others. Thank you, Jesus. Just speak to us afresh, Lord, I pray. Help us to present the case for Christ. Lord, just as we live our lives. Lord, just as we greet our neighbours. Just as we go about doing our work. Just in everything that we do. Lord God, because we know this world needs Jesus. Lord, so we just ask that you would use us. Bless us now, we pray, Lord, as we continue in your presence. Thank you, God. Amen.